Welcome to the Vineyard Podcast. This week we've got Paul Crutchley continuing in our series, Do Not Lose Heart in 2 Corinthians, and he'll be looking at chapter 5. Well, it's great to be with you again this week as we continue our series in 2 Corinthians called Do Not Lose Heart. Hopefully, over this series, you've been encouraged. Hopefully, hope is stirring in you because this message, Do Not Lose Heart, at the core of it, it's a hopeful one. And we've talked over this time about how our past hope, Jesus' death and his resurrection, and our future hope that one day all things will be made new, that those two things give us hope in our present. And as I pick up today, I'm going to look at how this message, do not lose heart, you know, though it's very much for us, it's not only that, it's also God's message that he wants to share through us. So this message is both for us and it's through us. Last week in his talk, James said that people in our society are ready to hear the good news of Jesus more so than maybe ever before because they've been so deeply shaken by this pandemic. He was saying that we potentially have the greatest opportunity of our lifetimes to see people come to know Jesus. I wonder, is that something that you have thought much about? I'm I'm reminded of a couple in our church, Pete and Claire Spears. They're on the staff team. Many of you will know them. They're wonderful people. Uh, And after um, VNG, the national conference we had back in January, where we met as the kind of vineyard movement online together, they just felt so stirred by this. They they were like, we we are just desperate to see our friends and family come to know Jesus. And so they wrote up a bunch of names on the wall and they just said, we're going to commit as a couple to pray every day for them together. And so they've been doing that, just seeking the Lord, interceding for, for these people to come and, and know the hope of Jesus. But you know, maybe you're not like Pete and Claire. Maybe you're a bit like, more like me where actually you haven't given it as much thought. Maybe it's kind of, oh, okay, yeah, theoretically, that, I know that might be true, but that kind of hasn't necessarily hit your heart in such a deep kind of level of conviction. Maybe you've, maybe you've not even given it a first thought, let alone a second thought. Maybe you're right now more focused on just getting through the day, getting through the week, just waiting for restrictions to ease. You know, wherever you're at. I believe that today as we share in God's word that we can be stirred. I've entitled this talk, People of Hope in the Midst of a Pandemic. You know, in this time, our friends and our family, they need us to be the beacons of hope that we were always meant to be. I know from uh, conversations with many of you in the church, I know from conversations I've had with my own family members, with my own friends, that people in my life right now, that those around us, they're struggling they need Jesus. You know, I imagine the same is, is true for you and your family members and your friends, that you know that right now many people are going through some really difficult times and that right now they are crying out for the hope of Jesus and most of them don't know that is the case. But how amazing would it be if the people we know and love came into fullness of life, came into a restored relationship that Jesus is offering them? So whether you've thought about this a lot and, and you're raring to go, maybe like Pete and Clara, or if you've barely dwelt on this at all, I, I, my prayer is that today would be a moment of us lifting our eyes off of ourselves, of focusing our attention away from us and out to see what is God doing and where can we partner with him? What does he want to do through us in this time? So let's jump uh, straight in. We're in 2 Corinthians 5 and we're picking up at verse 14. And I'm going to read from the NIV. It says this, so 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For Christ's love compels us. 
because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Holy Spirit, I pray that as I unpack these verses today, Lord, would you just anoint the words that are to be shared, God. Would you stir people as they listen? We want to be convicted, challenged and encouraged by your word today. Amen. So, Today I want to talk about three themes in this passage and how they relate to us being people of hope in the midst of a pandemic. The first one is that we are new creations. The second one is reconciliation. And the third one is being ambassadors for Christ. So we're going to jump in and talk about new creation first. Throughout the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about our salvation in terms of our old self dying with Christ. And through Jesus' resurrection, us becoming new creations when we follow Jesus. And this is what Paul is saying starkly in in verse 17. I actually think the ESV puts it slightly better than the NIV here. And it puts it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He is a new creation. It's a wholesale identity change that's happening here. An analogy I've often used um, to explain this is of a child being adopted. Because the moment that a child is adopted into a family, their identity change changes. That moment that the document's signed, it's sealed, their old identity is gone and they take on a new identity. And as that happens, they're invited into and expected to take on the patterns of life of their new family as their identity has changed. And this is what happens for us. Our identity changes and then the way we live changes. You know, Paul talks um, about this a lot across the New Testament. One place he talks uh, a lot about it is Romans. And in Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, he says this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In Paul's mind, it's clear. When you come to follow Jesus, you unite with his death and you die to your old self, your old way of life, your old patterns of brokenness. And as you do that, you also unite with Jesus' resurrection and you receive the newness of life. As Jesus says in John 10, 10, he came to give us abundant life. As he says in Matthew 16, those of us who lose our life will in fact find it. It's the upside down nature of the kingdom that as you and I die, we actually find life. That as we die to ourselves, we actually find who we were always meant to be. We're invited into and we're expected to live in this new way of life. 
See, this gospel message, it's not a neat add-on to our life that we just go, oh, okay, great, my, my sins are forgiven and I'm just going to carry on kind of normally as I, as I was before, just with this nice kind of little uh, kind of thing that makes me feel slightly better about myself. It's not that at all. It's a complete acknowledgement of our brokenness, of our need for a saviour that leads us to say, Lord, I, I'm going to die to myself. I know that I need your life. And then as we acknowledge that, as we come to the end of ourselves, we find the greatest gift of life on offer. And then off the back of that, we lay down our lives for the one he's given us life. Verse 15. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Jesus. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died. What does that mean for us? in the context of being people of hope in the midst of a pandemic. Well, I think a big part of it is that we take our eyes off of ourselves and our own situation. You know, COVID has narrowed most of our lives. Uh, and some of that's been good. We've, we've lost some of the dross from the edges that needed to go. But some of it hasn't. You know, for many of us, this has been a time of hunkering down. This has been a time of retreating into our own homes, of, of closing our lives to others. And what I'm not trying to do in, in, in any way in this moment is minimize the pain and the suffering that many of us are going through. But what I know to be true for many of us, and I felt it in my own heart at different times, is that what we've done is we've felt like the right thing to do was to hunker down and to retreat and, and to close off our lives and to narrow our lives that that's what we needed to do in order to make it through. And it was like, okay, well, we're just going to do this and, and we'll kind of hibernate for a while and then we'll come out and it'll be okay. But you see, the upside down nature of the kingdom means that the more we pour out, the more that we're filled. The more that the message of hope is shared through us, the more hope is grown in us. And, and I believe that actually the right thing and the best thing for us is to not hunker down is to not narrow our lives, but to, to open our eyes and lift them off of our own situation and say, Lord, what are you doing? And what do you want to do through me? Where can I serve you? Look, sometimes that feels like the last thing we want to do. Maybe even often it can feel like the last thing we want to do right now. But as we read in Acts, Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I believe the invitation of Jesus is for us to lay our lives down and to partner with him in bringing hope. Verse 14, Christ's love compels us. You know, we do this because we've encountered the outrageous goodness and love of God and we've traded our brokenness and our hopelessness in for grace and mercy and new life. And so, verse 15, we no longer live for ourselves but for him who did this for us. It's an encounter of the outrageous love of God that leads us to say, well, Lord, my life is not my own anymore. Because of your great love, because of what you've done, Jesus, my life is yours. All that I have is yours. All that I am is yours. Would you use me as you want to? There's a, there's a, a kind of famous John Wimber quote, the guy who founded the Vineyard Churches, and he used to say, we're just spare change in God's pocket to be spent how he wants. Even this morning as I, as I was getting ready to preach this message, I was, um, just, I was just reminded of how far the Lord has brought me. Uh, and in many ways of, of actually how much of a mess I was before his gracious love changed my heart. And, and even in that moment, 
I just, I had to kind of stop what I was doing and just pray I'm like, Lord, I really am nothing without you. I'm so thankful for what you have done. You have raised me into the new life. You have moved me from insecurity into security. You've brought peace to my soul. Would you spend me how you want? Even when I don't want to, even when I want to be selfish with my own time or my finances, God, would you remind me of what you've done in my life? Spend me however you choose. I believe that for us as the people of God at this time, he wants to spend us in sharing this message of hope. So what does it look for you, like for you right now to be a person of hope? Who in your life needs this message of hope? Who's coming to mind right now? So that's the first point, that we have died to ourselves and we've been raised to new life in Jesus. So we no longer live for ourselves and that's why we're a people of hope in the midst of a pandemic. So next, let's look at this idea of reconciliation. Back into the passage, verse 18. And as we read these few verses, uh, we can't miss how many times Paul repeats the word reconciliation. So, verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation twice already. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When biblical authors uh, repeat phrases or words, often their intent is to hammer home that what they're saying is really, really important. They're like, let me repeat it and repeat it and repeat it so you cannot miss this. And when Paul there five times in three verses mentions reconciliation, it's clear he's like, Corinthians, you've got to get this. You've got to get this idea of reconciliation. So what does he mean by it? Well, we know that reconciliation is where you restore a relationship between two parties. A husband and wife might be reconciled after a split. Two friends might be reconciled after a falling out. But what does it mean in the context of a relationship to God? Well, I think verse 21 gives us a great insight to this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul is saying that as we are reconciled, we become the righteousness of God. Reconciliation leads to righteousness. But what does that mean? <laughs> righteousness is not the most accessible word. You know, if you're new to church as you watch this, you probably haven't used or thought much about this word. Maybe you've only used it uh, in negative scenarios, maybe when you've said, oh, those self-righteous Christians or something like that. It's, it's a word that not many of us outside of the church would use. And even some of us in the church don't fully understand. It's often explained as right standing before God. But even that, I don't think is necessarily the most helpful. It doesn't necessarily clear up loads. Uh, Putty Putman, other than having a fantastic name, has written a great book called uh, Live Like Jesus, which I've got right here. And he quotes uh, the Thayer's Greek lexicon in it, which defines righteousness as the state of a person who is as they ought to be the condition acceptable to God. Putty goes on to explain that a better understanding of righteousness is that it means right in being. What he's saying is that reconciliation is an identity issue. 
as we're reconciled to God, it's not just that our relationship to him is restored, but that who we are and who we were meant to be and how we were meant to live is restored. It's back to this identity issue we were talking about at the start, wasn't it? That we die to our old self. It's a wholesale identity change as we take on the life of Jesus. A story that I think helps illustrate this is found in Luke 15. It's it's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, and it's one many of us will know well. It's the story of the prodigal son. And in this parable that Jesus tells, uh, what we have is two sons, and one son comes to his father, and he demands his inheritance. So he's effectively saying to his dad, you're dead to me, would you give me what is coming to me? I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And the father, for some reason, obliges, and he gives his son the wealth. And the son takes it uh, and goes off, we're told, to a far-off country, where he blows it all in reckless living, which uh, I'm sure we can imagine what that might involve. And he comes to the end of himself. He, he gets to this point where he's like, well, I've got no money left, and I, you know, probably my you know, friends have deserted me, and I've, I've kind of worth nothing over here now. And he takes a job working in the fields, feeding pigs. And at this point, he's just got to the end of himself and he's realized, I've made a big mistake. And he decides, okay, I'm going to return home and I'm going to beg my father to take me in as one of his servants because that would be better than what I'm doing right now. And then there's this beautiful moment where Jesus explains what happens as the son is returning home. And it says, whilst he's a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran out to meet him, embraced him, kissed him. And he called together people around him and said, bring a robe, bring a ring, put shoes on his feet for my son. He's returned home. And the father is just so full of joy in that moment. What happens is the son's relationship to the father is restored. But so too is his identity. Very visibly to everyone else around, the father is visibly restoring the identity of his son you know imagine the scene like his son would have come home you know he'd been working out in fields feeding the pigs his clothes had been ragged he'd have been dirty he'd have been wasting away probably didn't it kind of says he doesn't have much food and then he's walked from a far off country so i mean who knows what kind of state he's getting in as he comes in and and what the father doesn't do in this moment is he doesn't say okay right we'll come back but you're Come back into the house. You're grounded. I want you to rethink about what you've done. I can't believe you've disappointed me so much. Just get in the house. I'm glad you're alive, but just get in. I can't handle you right now. The father doesn't even say, okay, well, oh, it's great you're home, but you know, why don't you just wait here? We're going to sneak you in under the cover of dark so that people don't see you. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you rested and fed. And then we'll manage the public perception of the fact that you're back uh, and you know, what you did beforehand. And then we'll work out maybe kind of a, a role you can do that doesn't kind of bring too much attention to you or the family business. No, the father doesn't do any of that. The father runs out to meet him and he covers his shame. He says, I don't want to see anyone. In you. They want people to see you in this state. Let me give you my robe so that they know that you're part of my family. Let me, let me give you my ring so that they know you're my son. Let me bestow your identity back to you. And he throws this lavish, lavish party and he celebrates and he gives him the sign of authority, the family ring. He says, welcome back, my son. Welcome back into who you were meant to be. You are not my lowly servant. You're my son. And with that comes everything you'd expect. You have the authority of the family. And this isn't anything to do with you. You know that you don't deserve this. You know that you've not been living in the right way. But I'm giving it to you because it's mine to give because of my great love for you. 
This is the kind of reconciliation that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians. It's, it's a reconciliation that's life-giving, that's light, that brings freedom. It's, it shouldn't feel heavy. You know, um, 2 Corinthians 7, a couple of chapters after what we're reading today, Paul says this, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. When you enter into the reconciliation with the Lord, it leads to freedom and lightness. We are the prodigals. And we have been reconciled back into relationship with God. And we've been restored to our true identity as sons and daughters. God the Father has given us the family ring. Now, not many of us wear family rings these days. And those of us who do, probably not many of those who do, will dip it into hot wax and use it to seal documents as a sign or a stamp of their authority. But that that's what used to happen. The family ring used to be the symbol of authority, saying if you've got this, then you can make decisions on behalf of the family. You can sign things. You can go places and people will see it and go, okay, well, I know that I must treat you with respect because you've got the authority of that family. God the Father has given us the family ring. And he's saying, you've got my authority. Go work on my behalf. Take my authority with you. You have authority to bring hope to people in this time. Maybe you don't believe that God could use you to bring hope because of your own mess or your own hopelessness. You're the prodigal right now and you're looking back at your reckless living and you're saying, well, I, all I can remember is my life with the pigs. All I can picture is the, the mistakes I've made and what led me to that place. But you have a father who isn't looking at the reckless living. He's looking at the party. He said, man, I'm just glad my son or daughter's alive. Come back in. You're my son, you're my daughter. Take the robe, take the ring, take the authority that I'm giving you. The Father is inviting you to partner with him, not because of you, but because of him. Maybe you're actually on the opposite end of the spectrum. You're raring to go. You're like, yes, I can't wait to see God move. I know what he's done. I, I know that I'm changed. I know all of the amazing things that he has done in my life. And this is just a reminder. It's wind in your sails that you've been given the full authority of the Father. And, and the call is for you to go and partner with him. Go and see people healed. Go and see uh, bodies made well. Go and see people's lives changed. Go and see hope restored. Go and see people reconciled to God. You have been given the authority to see it. Go and see it. Go and carry the kingdom of God. So we're people of hope because we're new creations in Christ and, and we live our life for him. And we're people of hope because we've been reconciled to our true identity as sons and daughters with all the authority that brings. And that leads us to the final image Paul uses in this passage, being an ambassador for Christ. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on, behalf of, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul starts this, therefore, you know, therefore, because we are new creations, because we've been reconciled into our true identity, we are ambassadors for Christ. And God makes his appeal through us. I don't know what image comes to mind when you think of an, an ambassador. Maybe it's uh, of someone eating at fancy restaurants and sipping expensive whiskey, being made to feel important. And you're like, well, if sharing Jesus is that, then I'm in. Uh, maybe that. Or maybe it's actually more of like a government official that's quite boring and just buried in paperwork and meetings. I don't know what your image of an ambassador is. But the image Paul is trying to get across to us here is that we are God's representative. An ambassador represents the, a state to another state. 
And, and Paul's saying God is entrusting you to be his representative to the world. Let that sink in. You, with all of your mess and brokenness, with all of your doubts and your worries and your fears, with all of your inadequacies, and if you're anything like me, there'll be many of them. God has chosen you to represent him. And that's an amazing privilege, but it can also be quite daunting (laughs) because many of us aren't totally sure how to be God's representative. What does it mean to be an ambassador of Christ? In the context that we're looking at today, in this moment of our time, in a pandemic, what does it mean to be a person of hope? Well, when trying to work it out for myself, uh, I, I found it helpful to look at those people who have been Christ's ambassador to me in my life. So those people who have represented Christ to me and helped me meet him for myself. And if I were to ask you uh, about your journey towards knowing Jesus, the vast majority of us will tell a story that will involve someone or a number of people telling them about Jesus or inviting them to spaces where they could learn about him or showing God's kindness to them or praying for them. Our stories involve almost always people in different ways at different stages representing Jesus to us. You know, when you think about your own journey, Maybe it was your parents reading you Bible stories uh, as a child or a grandparent telling you about God's love. Maybe it was a friend in high school uh, that invited you to church or a youth worker that explained the gospel to you. It could have been a chance encounter with someone in the pub as they offer to pray for healing for you and then you share about Jesus. Maybe it's been for you and your small group where week by week you have explored the questions that you've got about faith and you've had people love and support you through it. Those people were people of hope. Those people were ambassadors of Christ, allowing the message of God to flow through them to you. The hope that they received, they didn't keep it to themselves. It was a message for them and then it was a message from them. And so if you want to be a person of hope in the midst of this pandemic, Do the same thing. Let the message that you have received, let that message that's for you become a message that goes through you. And how do we do that? Well, look at those people. What worked for you on your journey to Jesus? Now, look, admittedly, if it was that your parents read you bedtime stories of of the Bible and you're now in your 20s and you're living with other people in their 20s, that might not be the easiest thing to do a direct well, you know, I'm, I'm not saying don't. Give it, feel free to give it a try. There's only one way to find out whether they'll respond well. But let what worked for you be a starting point. Try different things from what's worked in your life, from the way that people were shared with you or invite you to things. And just give it a go. The worst that can happen is our friends say no. We say, hey, can I share the hope that I have with you? Or can I invite you to this church event? Can I, do you want to watch this service, or whatever it might be. The worst they say is no. Okay, we'll let them say no. The worst thing that we can do is say no on their behalf. I asked earlier, who in your life needs this hope? Who came to mind when I asked that question? I, I know for me, it's, I've got some family members, I've got some close friends that I would love to see come to know Jesus. And they're the people that often come to mind for me. I've got friends from the gym who I'm just like, oh, I'd love for them to know the hope that Jesus brings. Who would you love to see the, the new life that Jesus offers? 
Who would you love to see walk in the freedom that he brings? And, and what could you do, even today or over the next few days, the next week, to be a representative of God's hope to them? Is it to, to reach out? Is it to pray for them and get a prophetic word and share it? Is it to uh, maybe arrange that Zoom call that they've been asking for and, and you've been putting off and just say, actually, I'm, I'm going to give you the time. I'd love to hear how you're doing. And then on that call, boldly sharing, boldly but sensitively sharing, well, this is the, the reason for the hope that I've got. Is it maybe to do something like Pete and Claire, that what I mentioned right at the start, of just going, we are stirred for this and we want to pray and intercede for people to come to know Jesus. And, and so you're just going to write up a you know, list of people and stick it to the fridge and just pray for them daily to come to know Jesus. I, I don't know, what is it for you? But let it be something. Let this preaching series, let this message not just be something that's for you, but let it be something that's from you. Jesus is inviting us to be people of hope in the midst of a pandemic. And as we've read in this passage today and unpacked, we can do that because we're new creations. Our identity has changed and we live for Jesus, not for ourselves. We've been reconciled into our true identity and we are God's representatives to our friends and family.